Good morning, church. How are y'all doing this morning? So, we seem to have had a perfect storm in our church. Uh, Pastor Rod and, and Gabe were already slated to go out of town for a wedding, and uh, Jeff found out that uh, his grandmother passed away, and so he's also out of town. So, I found out about a week ago I'm preaching today. So, if you would, uh, keep both their families in your prayers, and uh, especially because, you know, we need them back. <laughs> so, um, today we're going to uh, finish the series uh, that we've been in called Living With Yourself. And today we're going to talk about our freedom in Christ. And when you think about the word freedom, what's, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Um, the first thing that came to my mind was freedom of speech, our First, our first Amendment. Um, how we have the freedom to worship the way we please. Uh, some people may think about um, the Second Amendment, how we have the freedom to bear arms. Um, if you are a history buff, you may think about how Abraham Lincoln freed the slaves. If you're a movie buff, you may think about that famous line from Braveheart. Y'all want to say it with me? They may take our lives, but they will never take our freedom. Yeah. Or if you're my wife, you may think, when you think of freedom, you may think of George Michael, and I'll leave that there. Um, but, but whatever you think about today, hopefully by the end of the service, you'll think about what your freedom in Christ looks like and, and some practical ways of how you can live a life of freedom in Christ. So today we're going to be in the book of Galatians. Uh, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 5. If you don't have your Bibles, they'll be on the screens, and you can have them in your bulletin. Um, but we're going to be looking in verse 1 to start off with. And Galatians 5, verse 1 says this. It says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Some history and background about the book of Galatians. It was written by the Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the, old, uh, the, most of the New Testament. Um, he wrote it in the first century, around 47, 48, 49 A.D., um, and the book of Galatians was actually written to not just one specific church, but actually a group of churches that Paul had planted on his first missionary journey. Um, Galatia is, is present day a part of what we would consider Turkey. Um, and, and so if you read the book of Galatians from start to finish, you can actually see that when Paul first brought the gospel to the Galatians, they embraced it. They loved it. They adopted it. They made it their own, just as Paul had done, and they accepted it. But what, ha what happened when Paul came back from his first missionary journey is a group of people came in to Galatia. They came in, and, and they were telling the Galatians that it's not just about putting your faith in Christ as what Paul preached. They told the, the Galatians that in order for you to, to put your faith in Christ, you must first follow the law. And today, when we think of the law, some people say Old Testament, some people say the Ten Commandments, but what, the, what these people were talking about to the Galatians was actually these 600-plus laws that were written by man and God. And they were saying that in order for you to accept Christ, in order for you to go to heaven, you got to follow these laws that were made by man and God. And there's a correlation to the church today. With that story, there's a there's a correlation of of some churches have denied the truth. Some churches are just like those people in the Galatians. 
uh, that were telling the Galatians that stuff. They're in, and they may think or they may, they may preach that in order for you to go to heaven, you have to be a part of our church. Only people who go to heaven are members of our church. Or there's churches out here who say, in order for you to avoid hell, you have to actually uh, be baptized. And then there's other churches that say, in order to prove that you're a child of God, you have to speak in tongues. Or in order to prove that you're a child of God, you have to actually um, do certain criteria or do certain things. Or you have to uh, memorize certain literature, certain, certain pieces of scripture. Or you have to agree with certain things in order to prove or say that you're a child of God. None of these things are in Scripture. None of these things are what set us free. None of these things are required for salvation. They never have been and they never will be. Because these things are works-based. These things are things that, that we think we need to do in order to accept some, some spiritualism or some spiritualistic idea of, of, of how we get into heaven. And that's not, that's, not, that's not what God intended. Salvation has always been by grace alone and faith alone. It's, it's the grace that God showed us by Jesus Christ dying on the cross. It's the grace and love that he poured out on us when he did that. And it's by putting our faith in his sacrifice and understanding that there's nothing we can do in ourselves or apart from ourselves, anything other than him and his sacrifice to get us to heaven. That's why it's always been in grace alone, by faith alone. So your first point in your bulletin there says that salvation equals freedom. And Paul wrote the epistle to combat all these works-based ideas. He wrote it to, um, to try to tell them that this, this isn't the life that you want. He uses the word yoke in that first verse, Galatians 5. He says, you are free from the burden, again, by a yoke of slavery. And when you think of a yoke, you all think of those dirty, nasty oxen, right? These huge beasts of animals that have this big old piece of wood put on their shoulders. This weight, this heavy burden. And they're tied to it somehow. They're harnessed to it, and they're, they're plowing a field. And it's dirty, nasty, heavy, heavy burden work. And that's what Paul's saying here. He's saying that, that you, if you want to follow the law, are under the yoke. You're adding a level of burden and a level of heartache you don't need to do. Today, we may equate, equate that to religious works, you know, that we have to do something in the church in order to become a follower of Christ, that we have to do something ourselves. For them, they were being told that you have to keep the law. The way you get saved is by keeping the law. And Paul is saying here in this first verse, he's saying, no, no, the way that you're free, the way that you attain salvation is by Jesus by his sacrifice on the cross, by him dying and shedding his blood, and him being a rose on the third day. That, that's what we put our faith in. It's not in the law. It's not in works. It's not in anything we can do. It's in what he did. Freedom is based off Jesus' finished work on the cross. It has nothing to do with us. It's about his grace and his love and his sacrifice. Salvation has always been by grace alone and faith alone. It's putting our faith in what Jesus has done and not in what we have done. When we accept Christ, 
Jesus takes this dead, lifeless soul and he brings life to it. The moment we accept Christ, the moment we accept it, I would snap my fingers better, but I can't do it very loud. I'm not very good. But the moment we accept it, the moment we, we get the Holy Spirit, that's how we get the freedom. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says this. It says, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Sounds familiar, right? We just sang about that. It's nice to know we're singing biblical songs, right? So the Spirit of the Lord is there is freedom. This isn't something you acquire. This is the moment that you accept Christ. This isn't, this isn't something that you have to work to gain. This isn't something that you have to live to attain. This is literally something that we get the moment we accept Christ. This isn't like a video game where we have levels and we have certain criteria to get past that first level and, and then we're, we get this title and then we move on to the next level and there's more criteria and we have to collect coins or do something special and then move to the next criteria. It's not like that. It's instantaneous. We get this freedom the moment, the moment we accept Christ. It's not something we ever have to work for. It's not something we have to ever do. The reason we have the, the freedom that Christ gives us is through his works on the cross, for what he did on the cross, and through his spirit. The Holy Spirit, he resides in each one of us who believes in Christ. He's the one that lets us live a victorious life. He's the one that lets us live this, this life that is broken from the chains of sin, the chains of condemnation the chains that, that we have when we're born into this world. He's the one that lets us live a victorious life. It's not about coming to church, getting your quota. It's not about reading the word of God. That won't save you. Being baptized won't save you. Tithing won't save you. Prayer won't save you. Well, it will if you pray for Jesus to come into your heart. But it's about what Jesus did on the cross and us accepting his sacrifice, that's what saves you. When you become a child of Christ, you want to do those things. You want to start tithing. You want to start taking a swing at prayer, at reading of the Bible, because that's what our Lord commands us to do. That's what our Heavenly Father commands us to do. But that stuff in itself won't save you. Today, it seems like more and more of us ignore our freedom. And we just continue to live by the flesh, continue to live sin, sinful lives, and go after our desires. But that's not what Christ intended. Continue in Galatians 5, looking at verse 13 and 14, and it says this. It says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Brothers, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. See, only Jesus could fulfill the law. And that's what, that's what they were telling the Galatians. These group of people were telling them is that they had to fulfill the law. Only Jesus was able to fulfill the law completely and totally. He's the only one who, was a, who came down and was a human being just like us. And he lived a, a, a sinless, perfect life that we can't live. He is the only one who ever fulfilled the law. We need to understand our, our freedom is not a license to sin. It's not, it's not made for us to continue in sin. And that, word, that, that phrase there where it said that um, love your neighbor as yourself, 
That's easy to say, but it's hard to do, right? It's hard to do. People could be mean. People could be hateful. I don't know if you got cut off on the way to church this morning. I didn't, thankfully. But, you know, we experienced something in, my, in our family recently that uh, really kind of spelled out what it means to live a life of Christ and live a life of freedom. We found out that our youngest son, Wyatt, was being bullied on the, on the bus. And um, my first action as a father, my first uh, thought, not my action, but my first thought was one of vengeance, one of anger, right? I mean, I'm not alone in that. If your child is being bullied or somebody's putting his hands on your child, I think it's okay to be angry. But that's not our first action. That shouldn't be our first action. And it's hard to not let that be our first action. I have to understand that the way I lead my family and the way that I reflect Christ to my kids has got to be showing the love of Jesus. In the same way, we've got to show non-believers the love of Jesus. And I'm proud to say my wife pulled Wyatt aside and they prayed for that boy. They prayed for him. That has to be our first reaction. Our first action has got to be showing the love of Christ, no matter how it hurts, no matter how it doesn't make any sense, no matter whether it's what we want to do or what we don't want to do, our first action has got to be showing the love of Christ. And I know it's hard. It was hard for me because you get that flesh, that moment, you know, where you want to go back. You want vengeance. You want anger, right? And, and the, all the flesh is, when you hear somebody talk, uh, Rod addressed this a couple weeks ago, when it's, the flesh is just living for yourself. It's wanting what you want. It's wanting vengeance. It's thinking that you get what you're owed, in life. You know, it's, it's my way. I want that flesh. I want, I want to do it my way. I want to go my path. The world tells us that we're supposed to seek fame and fortune and all this stuff and that we can live and be angry and get ours and, and all that. And that's not what God intended. Matter of fact, the Bible says that we are to store riches in heaven, not on earth. We're to, we're to seek the glory of the Father who saved us not seek our own glory, not seek our own vanity. And that's hard to do. It's really hard to do. But that's what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about being free from the yoke of slavery, being free from the yoke of hurt relationships, being free from things that cause empty living, or being free from a standard of morality that shifts and changes as our moments change with what we want. That's what, that's what Paul's talking about here. That's what the yoke of slavery looks like today. We're to be free to, set, to serve others, free to serve others in love. And we have to understand that the benefits that we get from loving others far outweighs anything that we'll ever receive from loving ourselves. So we must, we must agree that freedom cannot continue living in sin. One of the things I've never really got behind in my life is this concept or idea that we, you know, that Jesus lives in our hearts. Y'all heard that? Jesus lives in our hearts? Y'all heard that before? Well, I have a problem with that, and, and it's just probably me and the way I think, but the heart is that thing that's deep inside, and it's, it's like landlocked, right? It doesn't see the outside world. 
It doesn't see what we're doing. It's just in there. And, you know, if you hope it keeps beating. You hope it keeps doing what it's supposed to do. But it's just in there, and it's, it's not really paying attention to what you're doing. But I, I challenge you today, change that thought. Because the Holy Spirit, when he indwells us, he indwells us from our head to our toe. He is in all of us. When we think malicious thoughts, when we think lustful thoughts, he hears it. When we use our eyes to sin, when we look at something we shouldn't, he sees it. When we use our hands to do something evil and to sin against God, he feels it. When we use our feet to go somewhere where we shouldn't go, he's going along with us. He is in all of us. He's not something just, just oh, he lives in my heart and he says nothing. He, he doesn't see what I do. Don't ever mistake it. Jesus knows when we sin. He knows. Don't, don't think for a second that this one little sin is not a big thing. To Jesus, it's everything. He died for it. And every time we continue to sin, if you don't hear anything else, listen to this. Every time, every time we continue to sin, it's like taking that hammer. And it's like banging that nail and banging it. Or it's like taking that whip that they used that had glass and bone tied to the end of it and striking Jesus and ripping his flesh off. Every time we sin, another drop of blood fell from our Savior, from our Lord. He takes it seriously, and we have to. We've got to take our sin seriously. There are men, men and women of God who have fallen because they thought one little sin wouldn't matter. One little sin won't make a difference. Don't fall into that trap. The Apostle Paul also wrote in the book of Romans, chapter 6 and verse 1, he says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. In today's terms, that means ain't no way. We died to sin. How can we live at it any longer? If you're sinning, you're a child of God, just like if your child sins, <clears throat> the loving thing to do is to discipline him. And God lovingly disciplines us. The Bible calls it chastening. And all that is is a big term to say God basically gets our attention. He, he comes and he... he he doesn't come after us like something vengeful, but he, he, he tries to correct us like a loving father should to put us back on his path that he has for us. So we've talked about already today how we have freedom in Christ, how that freedom is based off of nothing that we did, nothing that we do. It's based off of what Jesus did on the cross. We've talked about how we have freedom to love others and what freedom really looks like in Christ. And we've also talked about how we can squander that freedom and how we can use it for selfish reasons. So now we're going to talk about some practical steps to live a free life through the Holy Spirit. First off, we need to intentionally learn or intentionally seek to learn who God is in his ways. And we do this simply by reading the Bible. God's provided a way for us to know who he is. He's provided a way for us to know how to live. He provided us a way to know everything we need to in this moment in, in time about him. We read the Bible. There's a lot in there I don't know. And there's a lot in there, honestly, that I'm sure you don't know. But together, we learn better. We ask questions. We read something. We ask questions. Some of my favorite conversations that happen Sunday morning are when somebody read a passage and they want to know what it means. I love those conversations, and I don't have the answers. I know I may pretend that I do, but I don't always have all the answers. But those are great conversations. 
Another way to know and grow in who God is and learn about his ways is to be a, a member of a small group. A small group, if you are not a part of one, it's a great place, a great place to grow. And there's more information in the back if you are interested in joining a small group. We have them all throughout the week. A number two way that we can uh, use the Holy Spirit um, to live a free life is by intentionally seeking God's wisdom in every situation. And we do this by praying in faith. We don't pray expecting God or Jesus to be Santa Claus. We don't pray for Ferraris. We don't pray for things that, that uh, isn't in tune with, with God's will. We, we pray for his wisdom. We pray for his provision. We pray for his strength. We pray for his love. We pray for things that help us in our daily lives, to help us live the life of Christ. You know, the book of, the book of James is a great book because it shows you how faith looks in real-life situations. It's faith, in, it's faith in action. And there's a passage in there that says that, and I love this passage because it's such a true about, it's so true about God. It says, if you need wisdom, pray for it, and God will give it willingly. That's a promise of God. He's telling you, if you do this, I will do this. And how many of us have ever taken him up on that offer? I do it, and I'm about the unwisest person you'll come across. And I pray for that prayer. I pray that prayer all the time because I know I need wisdom. We got to pray, and we got to pray in faith. God is a loving God, and just like we want to pass things on to our children, he wants to pass things on to us, to equip us, to make us better followers of him. Number three, we need to intentionally seek to resist all temptation to serve self and sin. And we simply do this through accountability. And that's, that's, a, that's a bad word in church, right? Accountability. It means you got to be held to a standard, right? you got to be held accountable for what you did or what we do. And this is simple. We do this through small groups can offer accountability. Impact groups, if you're a part of one, should offer accountability. Through relationships. Um, I recommend if you don't have an accountability partner, I recommend getting one. They're great sometimes. <laughs> they're, um, they're, I, I meet Story Tate. He's my accountability partner. He just planted Refuge Church, and, um, and we meet every Wednesday, and we have hard conversations sometimes, and sometimes we just have fellowship. But those hard conversations, they need to be had, and we talk about how we love our wives. We talk about how we're leading our families, how we're doing in church, how we're, um, how we're sinning. We talk about when we've been tempted, when we fall. We talk about all that stuff. We talk about how's our, how's our prayer life? How are we reading the word? How's our quiet time? We hold each other accountable because that's, what, that's the only way we're going to grow and get better is by holding each other accountable. But it's somebody that you want to spend time with. Find somebody who you enjoy being around, somebody you look up to, somebody who you would love to pray for and somebody you want to pray for, for you. Story and I, he, he prayed for me. I had a rough week. He prayed for me on Friday. That's what accountability looks like. Small group is a great place. When we were going through the situation with Wyatt, our small group prayed for us. And I am I'm, I'm happy to say that this past week, that boy came up to Wyatt and, and said, I'm sorry. And it's, it's from, I believe it's from prayer. That boy had a breakthrough. Fourthly, we need to intentionally seek to follow the Spirit's leading in all circumstances. And we do this by being a follower of Christ. In this church, we call it being a disciple. You've heard that, right? Being a disciple. It's ingrained in every leader in our church. 
we sleep about it, think about it at night in our dreams about being a disciple. But that's what we do. We're a disciple. We have to follow. We can't all lead. We can't all follow. We need both. But you can't lead unless you're following. You've got to follow. We have to put our faith in Jesus. We have to rely on his steps to guide our path. We have to put our, our faith in him that he's going to provide for our family, that he's going to f- uh, show us what our purpose is, and we've got to rely on him for healthy relationships. If you're a believer in Christ today, you're not under the yoke of sin. You're not under the yoke of slavery. You're free. You're not stuck in the rut of self-medicating, self-loathing, self-reliance, or self-dependence. De- uh, self, uh, You've been bought and paid for by the blood of Christ. You're seen as holy, as righteous. The Bible says that when we accept Christ, he takes our, our sinful rags and he puts them on the blood of Jesus. And he takes Jesus' righteousness and he clothes us with it. When God sees us, he sees Jesus. And we know we're sinners. We know this side of heaven, we know that we failed the mark. We failed, we missed it. But God sees us as holy and righteous. You don't have to continue living a life of sin. You don't have to continue living bound to chains of, of, of filling the blank with whatever situation you're dealing with in your life. What Jesus offers is freedom in him. He offers a, a fulfilling, fruitful life of peace, of love, of joy, of patience. And I could read all of Galatians uh, chapter 6 and and the fruit, or chapter 5 later on, the fruits of the Spirit. But that's what we get. That's what we get is the fruit of the Spirit. You can't put a price on joy and on freedom. You can't put a price on love. And you can't put a price on peace. So these are four steps that we can use to practically live out the life, a free life, through the Holy Spirit. So to sum it all up, in Galatians 5, verse 6, it says this. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you are love. You are freedom. Lord, you've given us everything that we need to live a victorious life in you. God, you've forgiven of of us of our sins when we didn't deserve it. God, you loved us enough to die for us. Lord, some people here may not have ever accepted that freedom or experienced that freedom because they haven't accepted you. Lord, I pray that you would draw on their hearts like only you could do. Lord, call them home to you. Lord, I pray that, that somebody here would hear these words and understand that there's freedom in you and they don't have to continue living the way that they've been living, Lord whether they've been a believer for one year or or five years or 50 years, Lord, I pray that, that today there's freedom in you, freedom to live the way that you have us live, Lord, in love and not in condemnation and not in our past. Lord, I pray for you to, to, to pull or draw on the hearts of those people here that need, need you in their lives. Lord, and I pray that, that somebody here would have a breakthrough today for you. God, I want to thank you and give you praise for, for everything that you've done in this church, Lord, and everything that you're going to do. God, may we continue to worship you in our lives, in our speech, in our actions, 
Lord, may we continue to live this life of freedom, to show others what it means to be free. Lord, may we continue to live a life where one day you will say, well done, faithful servant. Lord, it's in your wonderful name we pray.